So, Father, we're asking in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us right now. Would you open our hearts to understand you? And some of us aren't even strong enough to, to get our hearts open. Lord, we can't do that. We need your help. Would you open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes to see things that we've never seen before? And would you speak to us in a way tonight, just like Lauren was talking about, in a way that would change our lives and heal us, Lord. We want you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, let me tell you what we're studying. We're studying the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a historical account written by Dr. Luke about the things that happened by the Spirit of Jesus through his people in the years after he stepped off this planet. Jesus has a plan to come back, to step back on this planet someday, but in the meantime, he's given us the responsibility of building this wonderful, amazing kingdom of God, not by force, but by love. And so that's what the book of Acts is about. That's what we've been studying. And we've, as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen time after time that the devil has tried to stop, put a stop to the building of Jesus' kingdom over and over. But every time that he tried to put a stop to it, the people who know Jesus prayed and asked for power. And the Holy Spirit gave them power. And they stood up to the opposition. And the opposition was not able to stop the church of Jesus. Never been able to stop the church of Jesus. There is no power of hell that can stop the church of Jesus. So last week we read about this dude named Herod Agrippa who, put, who, who thought he was really cool. Well, the Lord put him to death because he, he tried to put himself above God. But the most important verse that we read in last, last week in chapter 12 of Acts, chapter 12, verse 34, and I just want you guys to see this one more time, to focus on this one more time. This is what the most important verse was that we read last week. This is it. Acts 12, verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. And we could say that 10,000 more times since that time. That the word of God has continued and continued and continued to increase and spread. In fact, that's what's even happening here tonight. That's what's happening all over the world. All over the world, even right now as we speak, there are people who are proclaiming the greatness of Jesus and what he did, just like Lauren did just now. That Jesus, the power of Jesus to change lives is available for every person who will put their trust in him and is available for you tonight. Some of you guys aren't sure what that even means, but tonight you're invited to say, whatever that means, God, I want you. I want more of you. So the, the word of God, this kingdom of Jesus, has expanded and expanded and expanded. What I want us to look at tonight is how did it expand? How did it spread? I want us to look at the church in Antioch, which started at that time and has continued to this day. Through all these years, the church in Antioch was used by God to proclaim his message. And so we're going to look at the strategy that the church of Antioch used. Okay? You guys remember where Antioch is? Antioch is way up north of Jerusalem, up in Turkey, what is modern-day Turkey. And so where we're... Where we're, where we're moving to is verse 25, chapter 12, verse 25, and this is what we're reading. Okay? So you guys with me? If you don't have a Bible, who's got Bibles to pass out? Matt will give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And if you need a Bible um, and don't have one, I'll, I'll give you one. I got, I got them in my office. If you promise to read it, I'll give it to you. 
Okay? It's worth reading. It'll change your life if you read it every day. So Matt's going to give you a Bible if you don't have one. And if you're new here and you don't never spent time in the Bible before, the person next to you will show you where this is. Acts 12, 25. So when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So what was their mission? You guys see this? Paul and Barnabas, Saul and, sorry, Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission. What was their mission? Does anybody, can anybody think back, back several weeks ago? Actually, before I went to Japan and came back, so I know it's been a while. But if you guys go back to like June 20 or June 13 and get the podcast, Jesus Style Economics is the name of that podcast. It's worth listening to. Okay? So Paul, Saul and Barnabas had gone from Antioch. Actually, you can put that map up here. And the map's upside down, so you can get a different perspective. So this is, this is Turkey. That's Egypt down there. It's the Red Sea down there. This is Israel. So this is, this is Jerusalem down here. And Barnabas and Saul, this is upside down, looking from the north. So Barnabas and Saul went north to Antioch, which is right here. They returned from Antioch. The reason they'd been in Antioch is because if you guys remember what we talked about way back there in chapter 11 was that there was a guy named Agabus, remember? Agabus prophesied that there was going to be a famine. And because of the famine, the people in Jerusalem, had, were, they were in, in dire straits. They were in a lot of trouble. So the church in Antioch, which was people, had people with some money, they put together the money, and they sent it to the church in Jerusalem. And since they didn't have PayPal or Western Union, they sent it with two guys. They took the senior pastor of the church in Antioch, who's a guy named Barnabas, who we've talked about before, and his apprentice, whose name is Saul, and they sent them to Jerusalem to provide relief. Okay, you guys, some of you guys remember that. Does anybody remember that? Wow, a couple of you guys remember that. Okay, so... They sent it by Saul and Barnabas. Actually, back a couple, couple chapters earlier, it said they sent the gifts by Saul and Barnabas. Now, Barnabas and Saul return to the church in Antioch, but there's something I want you guys to see, okay? This has to do with the strategy of the church in Antioch in building the kingdom of Jesus. So I want you to see Barnabas and Saul return, but look at verse 25 again. Somebody else goes with them this time, so... Saul and Barnabas had gone from here to here to take the money, but when they come back, they got John Mark with them. They got John Mark with them. So why did they take, here, I want you to think about this. Why did they take John Mark with them? Okay, what's that? Training, exactly. They take John with Mark with them, the same reason that I took you guys to Japan this year, why I'm taking you some of you to the Philippines next year, why I'm taking some of you to India later this year, because we're training people how to do kingdom work. The Holy Spirit of God had been working in John Mark's heart. And his cousin, which is the senior pastor of the church in Antioch, says, hey, cousin Barnabas, their cousin John Mark, come with me. And they take him with them because they're training him to be a minister of the gospel. Now, here's my question for you about John Mark. Is John Mark ready to do ministry? No, in fact, he proves it because of within, with halfway through the mission that they start off on, he gives up and he goes home. We're going to read about that later on. So he is not ready. He is not ready, but that's why Barnabas, his cousin, who's the senior pastor of the church in Antioch, that's why Barnabas is called Barnabas. That's not his real name. His real name is Joseph. 
Barnabas is a nickname, which means the son of encouragement, because Barnabas was the kind of guy that gave people second chances. In fact, he's not only going to give his cousin, John Mark, a second chance. He's given Paul a second chance, Saul, who becomes letters called Paul. He gives Saul, Saul a second chance because Saul is the guy who was the biggest jerk of all. You guys remember? He killed the Christians. And so when he finally meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, he's, the Christians don't want anything to do with him. And he, if you guys remember, he had moved back over here to Tarsus. And, and Barnabas had gone and found him. Why is he finding him? Because he saw something in Saul that the other people didn't see. And because he saw something in Saul that the other people didn't see, he brings, he's bringing Saul along, and now he's got two apprentices. He's got Saul, who later becomes Paul, who writes half the New Testament, and his cousin John Mark, who we're not sure which of, the, which of these guys that is, but most likely it's the guy who writes the Gospel of Mark. Praise God for Barnabas. Okay, so the, here, here's what I'm, the reason I'm telling you guys this. I'm trying to work myself out of a job. You guys have heard me say that before. In eternity, here's my, here's my dream. In eternity, and there is eternity coming, guys. In eternity, my dream is that there's going to be people who are, who are talking. People do talk in eternity. And they say, who's Steve Hedlund? And my dream is that people say, oh, Steve's the guy that got Miles started. Steve's the guy that got Daniela started. Steve's the guy who got Josie started or Jessica. That's my dream. Because that's the way Barnabas thought. Think about it. Barnabas was looking for people who he could train and hand ministry to who would do more than he ever did. Okay, so the first thing that I want you guys to write down in your notes. Guys, take notes because you won't remember the stuff we're talking about. We're training. We're training you. This is part of the training. We're training you to take over ministry. So the first thing that I want you to write in your notes, which was the strategy of the church in Antioch, where Barnabas was the pastor, I want you guys to write recruitment and training. Barnabas is recruiting people. He's training people. And here's my question for you guys. Who are you recruiting? Some of you guys are amazing at recruiting people. Who are you recruiting? Who are you training? Who are you training to be like you? We're like, well, I don't know. There's nothing to train to be like me. Well, get there. If you don't want people to become like you, then get to the, be the kind of person that you do want people to become like. Are you guys hearing me? Who are you recruiting? Who are you training? Maybe the more important question is, who are you letting train you? Who's training you? I know your professors are trying to train you. I know you got bosses who are trying to train you. But who's training you to do what God's calling you to do? Let me ask you this. Who do you want to train you? And what I'm talking about training is not somebody that you spend 30 minutes a week going through a Bible study with. You might learn some information that way. What I'm asking you is, who do you want to become like? And what are you doing to become like them? And why haven't you asked them to spend time with them so that you can become like them? Or are you just a person like, I'm just me. I don't need to become like anybody. I want you to strategically think of who you want to become like and spend time with that person. Yes, two days ago, I was talking with Rosie Stigler, who's our office manager. 
She has a son named Michael Stigler. And I was asking her, so where's Michael nowadays? She said, well, he's in San Antonio, and he's training with Adidas. Adidas is his sponsor, and he's, he's a hurdles guy. And I'm like, so is he going to the Olympics next year? She said, yeah, I hope so. I said, that means he's going to Japan. So is he coming to Hitanatsu no Bokeh with us? And she said, after the Olympics over, we, we hope to go to Hita for the family camp. I was like, is that cool or what? Is that cool or what? So here's why, why is, I thought, well, why doesn't Michael Stigner come up here and be a part of the Cornerstone? He can train here every day. He can run around the building. And you know why? Because <laughs> there's somebody in San Antonio who's paid by Adidas who's training him. Who's training him every day. If Michael Stigler is going to get, go to the Olympics and get the gold medal, I hope he does because it's going to mean so much when he comes to Hita. If, if that happens, it's going to be because he trained and trained and trained. In fact, I was just like, Rosie, why don't you have him come and speak at the Cornerstone? She's like, he only gets little bits of time off because he trains every day. Guys, we're, we're, we're going to something way bigger than the Olympics. And you guys got to train way harder for what God's calling you to do than what Michael Stigler has to do for the Olympics if you expect to win every battle. We just, I appreciate what Matt just said. We are in a war. This is a battle. And the devil's strategy in this modern environment that you guys are in is to get you to believe that there's no war. That's his strategy. There's no war. If he can just get you to believe that there's no war, then you don't prepare for war. And he's got you covered. He's got, he's, he's going to destroy your life. So guys, we are in a war against the kingdom of darkness. So the first thing, like I said, I want you guys to write down, is recruitment and mentor training. Second thing I want to ask you guys to write down that the church in Antioch was doing that changed the world was that they had trusted godly leadership. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. In the church at Antioch, where we just looked at, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Okay, who's the lead pastor? I think it's Barnabas. But here's what I want you guys to get. Barnabas, Pastor Barnabas, is the guy who's leading this thing. But it's not about him not about him he's not the guy that does everything he's got he's got there's five pastors there what a great church because i think what that teaches is this this thing that we're doing here at the cornerstone is not about me today i had an important meeting that i couldn't be at so matt and luke did it and the guy that they were meeting with right after that he's like because i got here after at the end of that meeting he's like yeah i guess you didn't need to be here those guys are amazing like i know Oh, we got great leadership here. Can I say that about you? Are you part of that leadership team? Will you be part of that leadership team? Will you help to take, will you take my place so that I can do even more? The reason I'm in America instead of in the Philippines where I grew up or in Japan where God's called me over and over years after, year after year after year or in India where I'm going later this year, the reason I'm here is so that I can train you, period. That's it. I'm here. The, the success of, of what we're doing has to do with you guys in this room. I'm here to train you. And I just, I think every day, Lord, is this, is this the best way for me to spend my days? I think it is. If I didn't think it was, I wouldn't be here. 
But this isn't about me. This is about the church of Jesus that you're being called to be a part of and to build. Okay? So Barnabas is the lead pastor, but it's not about him. Second thing that I want you guys to see, look at this list. Five guys. Barnabas, Simon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Maanan, had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. What do you guys see about this list of five leaders? Multicultural, diverse gifts, diverse culturally, multiple languages that they speak, and multiple incomes. What do you, how do I say that? A variety of class. Guys, that's, that, we're shit for that. The point in all this here is that we got, we got, extra, we got excellent leadership here at the Cornerstone, but I want more. I'm asking you guys, would you be a leader? Not just here at the course. We just start to lead before you get the title. So many people want the title. The question is, will you lead without the title? And leadership starts by serving. So if you want to be a leader, coffee shop's a great place to start. The bathroom's a great place to start. Toilets need cleaning every day. The toilets are cleaned by people who go into the bathroom and clean when you guys mess it up. You know? It'd be nice if, if, if we had the money to hire somebody to do that. The bathrooms were cleaned today by somebody who loves you. That's where you start if you want to do leadership. But the second thing I want to invite you to do if you want to be a part of leadership is, is next week we're starting leadership training. We do this every semester. It's an eight-week training. Fridays at 4 p.m., 4 to 5.30 p.m. And you need the recommendation of a small group leader to be a part of that. And if you're like, well, I'm just first time here, and I know God's calling me to leadership and ministry, but I'm not a part of a small group yet, then talk with me, and I'll get you a part of a small group so they can recommend you by next Friday. Okay? And we got about probably 12 people going through, about, average about 10, 12 people go through it each semester. And that, that's, the, that's the heart of this cornerstone ministry that God's doing. Okay. So recruitment and training is the first one. Second thing I want to ask you guys to write down is trusted, godly leadership. The third thing that I want you to write down is worship lifestyle. Look at verse 2. Will they, that's those five guys in the church, probably other people too, will they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Okay, we're going to talk about what he said in a second. But while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, I want you guys to think about what that looked like. I used to think, this is what I used to think. That they came together and said, okay, we're going to have, have a meeting. We're going to have a worship meeting. And we're going to fast beforehand. We're going to worship and fast. And in the middle of that meeting, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke. But after studying it, after really looking at this, this is what I think it really means. Is in the middle, not in the middle of one meeting, but in the middle of a lifestyle, of a, of a momentum of worshiping, just daily worship. And people who, are, who fasted regularly, people who were giving their devotion to the Lord in the middle of all that. Yeah, sure, it might have been in one meeting the Lord spoke. But in the middle of all that, God spoke to them. So here's the point. If we're going to be effective ministry, if we're really going to do, if we're really going to take this campus for the name for Jesus, people in this campus, if it's going to be hard for people in this campus to come to UTA for two or four years without coming face-to-face with the power of God, if that's really going to happen, it's going to happen because we have an environment of worship that you can walk in this building at any time and say, there's something different here. That comes because of your relationship, ongoing relationship with Jesus. 
we got this prayer room right here. It used to be upstairs. And Luke, because he wants to make the prayer room accessible 24 hours a day, he has worked and worked and worked to get that prayer room ready. And now we're like, how close are we to get it done? We're done. We're done. So, so what do they need to do? What do they need to do to get a code so they can get to the prayer room 24 hours a day? Okay, I don't know. I, I, is that just for everybody? Okay, okay. So 3096, okay. Are you going to put rules or anything like they can come in here and sleep or what? Okay. Okay, you're going to post the rules somehow because, because um, we, here's the reason. We want safety here also. We don't want some girl being in there praying at 2 a.m. and some guy coming in. Okay, so we, just, we, we do want safety rules. But the, the prayer room that he's worked so hard on is open as of, like, this week. And understand why Luke's doing that. Luke's doing that because he gets paid a lot of money. No, that's not why. Luke, Luke works about 60 hours a week for the, for the ministry, uh, 20 hours at another church and about 40 hours here. And he does it because he loves Jesus. And because, he's a, because he doesn't have a green card, he can't be paid. We slip him a 20 here and there. But he's, guys, think about it. He's doing this. He, he works so hard in that prayer room because he really believes that we need a, a lifestyle of worship here at the Cornerstone all the time. Okay. Second thing that Yemi Chan already mentioned, if we want a lifestyle of worship, let's, let's join what's already happened. Tomorrow night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. is a 12-hour prayer meeting at Grace Community Church. You don't have to come for the whole time. I'm not going to come for the whole time. But, but guys, if you guys want to pray and you don't know how to pray, 6 p.m. or sometime tomorrow night at the G-Hop at Grace. And that also is open 24 hours if you get the code. Now, here, here's what I want to say about 12-hour about prayer meetings. 12-hour prayer meetings can accomplish a lot. But the training that you're receiving is not where once a year you go to do a 12-hour prayer meeting. The training that you're receiving is where you learn to walk in the Spirit day after day. That your that your whole life is a an anthem of worship to this great King. That you learn to pray as you walk. That you learn to pray as you go go along. That's. But I want you guys to see that that's what was going on at the church in Antioch, and that's why they succeeded. And in the middle of that, I want you to see the fourth thing. The fourth thing was that they received Holy Spirit guidance. Okay, the Holy Spirit said, in the middle of all this worshiping that's happening, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay, here's what I want to ask you guys. Lauren talked about hearing the voice of God. Can you, do you know how to hear the voice of the Spirit of God? That's something that you learn. I could take, I could take your phone, and I could, on my voice, on voice recorder here, I could play a thousand voices saying, Elijah, it's time for dinner. And Elijah would, could listen to 999 of those voices and say, I don't know them. And if his mom's voice came on, he'd know it instantly. Why? Could you please explain to us what your mom's voice sounds like? Teach us, Elijah, how to hear the voice of your mother. <laughs> he can't do it. He can't do it. You can't teach somebody how to learn the voice of another person. It has to be learned. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? You guys, I can't teach you how to hear the voice of God. 
But if you know God, if his spirit lives in you, you know his voice. You know his voice. And that only comes by a zillion times that his mom said, Elijah, it's time for dinner. Right? He knows it because he's heard it. And the more you listen to his voice, the more you'll know his voice. And the more you don't listen, the more you're not going to know his voice from a thousand others. Holy Spirit guidance comes out of a lifestyle of worship. Okay, fifth thing that I want you guys to write down is what the Holy Spirit said to them. The fifth thing I want you to write down is this. Commissioning of workers. This is what the Holy Spirit said. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off. Here's the point. If we are going to have effective ministry here at the Cornerstone and on UTA campus, we must be releasing people to the ministry that God has called them to. Every person in this room has been commissioned by God for a purpose. Do you guys hear me? You have been commissioned by God to do something that God has called you to do. Some of you guys here know what that is. Some of you guys don't have any idea what it is. And I want to say, get ready. And all of our leaders, small group leaders and house leaders and devotional leaders, what other leaders? We've got people leading all kinds of stuff. I want to say, get your people ready. Teach people how to get ready to do the thing that God's called them to do. We, we are, we're in the business of commissioning people to do what God's called them to do. Well, you, you didn't just get invited here today to listen to a sermon. You don't need one more sermon. There's 10,000 great sermons on your, on your iPhone if you, go to, if you use pod, you know, podcasts. There's so many sermons out there. Guys, we're not here to get you one more sermon. We're here to equip you so that you can do the ministry of God that he's called you to do. Get on with the ministry that God's called you to. So here's a couple questions. Do you know what God's calling you to do? Just want you to think about that. Do you know what God's calling you to do? Do you know what God's calling you to do tonight? Some of you guys, some of you don't know what God's calling you to do over the next five years because he's calling you to do something tonight that you don't want to do. You guys hear what I'm saying? Do you know what God's calling you to do? And here's, my, here's maybe the more important question. Are you willing to do whatever he's calling you to do? Just answer that question in your heart, yes or no. I'm willing to do whatever he calls me to do, or nope, I'm not willing to do what he calls me to do unless he tells me first. There's so many people who are like, I want to know what God's will is for my life so I can decide whether I want to follow it or not. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? He doesn't say, okay, let me tell you what my will is, and then you can decide whether you want to follow it. It's the other way around. You say, here's my life, oh God. Anything you want, I will do no matter what, however high, however far, whatever it costs, I am in. And that's when you know the will of God. And without that attitude, you spend your life trying to find out the will of God. You start, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm just waiting. Do what God's calling you to do and surrender to him and say, I'll do whatever you want me to do. No matter what. Okay, now there's a sixth thing that I want you guys to write down. But I want you guys to kind of figure this one out with me. Okay, so the sixth thing is, is starting in verse 4. The two of them, that is Barnabas and Saul, 
the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Cilicia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. Okay, can you throw that map up there? I, I sent you a second map, which is also um, from a different perspective. This is Egypt down here, the delta down there. This is Turkey, and this is Antioch, where they were, and they go over to Cyprus, this island of Cyprus, okay? So they first go to Cy uh, Salamis, and then they go to Paphos, okay? Okay, now here's my question for you. Why did they go to Cyprus? Okay, that's good. So why do you think the Holy Spirit told them to go there? What was the strategic, what was strategic about this place? It's in the middle of the Mediterranean. That's true. Okay, here, I want you guys to think about this. Have you guys, as we've studied the book of Acts, is there any other place in the book of Acts that we've mentioned the, the island of Cyprus? What's that? No, that's almost, you're getting close. Here, here's what it is, guys. Back in chapter 4, we read about Cyprus, and there was a guy who was from Cyprus, and he was the guy that sold his land to fund the Jerusalem church. Does anybody remember what his name was? His name was Joseph, but his nickname was Barnabas. He's the guy we're talking about. You know why they go strategically to Cyprus? Because that's where Barnabas is from. Now, can anybody think of anybody else who, when they were getting ready to start their ministry, they went home too? Jesus. Good. You guys were here for the Luke study. Jesus, remember he comes out of the desert. He's, he's baptized. He goes out of the desert 40 days in the desert, being tempted by the devil. He comes back, and he's ready now to start his campaign of taking over the world. And where does he go? Nazareth, his hometown. And so, guys, is there, is there a connection here? Guys, I want you to think about it. Here's where ministry starts. Here's the point, guys. Ministry starts at home. Number six, the fir first step of evangelism is your home. Some of you guys want to do big things for the Lord. The Lord wants you to do big things for him. And you're waiting for something. And he's waiting for you to go home and wash your mom and dad's feet. Now, I don't know. We don't get, we don't get told what happens when he sees his brother Bob and his mom Dad wouldn't know. But I think he's going there because that's where he's from. That's where Barnabas is from. Okay, here's my question for you guys. You want to do ministry? Are you willing to do the ministry that God's called you to do? And are you willing to start back in the hood? Are you willing to tell your brothers, the guys who you grew up with? It's easy to tell all the people that don't know you. In fact, they mock you. That's what they did with Jesus. They're like, who are you, buddy? Get out of here. They'll laugh at you if you come back and tell them about what God's done in your life. That's, I, that's why Jesus started there. And I think that's why Barnabas starts there too. Okay, you guys with me? Okay, number seven, last one. Last thing that I want you to write down about the strategy of the church in Antioch and what, they, what, what Barnabas and Paul did was, number seven, power evangelism. Verse six, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. Paphos is on the other side of the island there. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. That means the son of Jesus. In other words, I think this is this guy's nickname. He heard about what Jesus was doing. He's like, I'm, I'm the son of Jesus. Who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paul. So the guy, that, the, the guy who's in charge of the island, like the big mayor guy, 
he's the, he's the tenant of this guy. The proconsul was an intelligent man, and he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Smart guy. But LMS, the sorcerer, same guy, Bar-Jesus, that's his real name, for that's what his name means, opposed them and, try, and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. He's like, no, 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 don't listen to them. That's silly stuff. He's trying, to talk, he's trying to talk the guy in charge out of believing the truth. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, this is the first time that he's called Paul, and maybe it's because about well, there's, there's significance in what he's about to do. This is the first time that we see him doing really powerful ministry since he became a Christian 14 years or more later. He looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? And now the hand of the Lord is against you, and you are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw this, he's like, wow, that was weird. <laughs> when he saw this, he's like, I'm convinced. What you guys just told me now makes sense. I'm in. He believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Okay, here's what I want, you, want to ask you guys. What brought the proconsul to the point of belief? The power of the Holy Spirit. That's right. He wanted to hear the word of God. Think about this. He wanted to hear the word of God because the, the Holy Spirit, was the Holy Spirit working on his life before that? Absolutely. If, he, if the Holy Spirit wasn't working on his life, he would have showed up at the merge. He would have been asking them to teach the word of God. The Holy Spirit was drawing him. And every time the Holy Spirit is drawing people, you guys let this be a warning to you. Listen. If the Holy Spirit is drunk, if you showed up here tonight and you're not sure that this is true, you showed up here tonight because the Holy Spirit of God is inviting you into a personal relationship with him. And I promise you there's going to be a guy like Bar-Jesus who pretends to be something great, who stands against the power of God in your life and the drawing of the Holy Spirit and tells you, don't listen to Steve. Don't listen to that. But the point of decision happened. You guys understand this. The point of decision happened not by what Paul and Barnabas said, but the power, but by the power of God that was revealed through them. Do you guys see this? He wasn't convinced until he saw the power of God. Here's the point. Nobody is going to come to faith in Jesus. None of you came to faith in Jesus because somebody explained a bunch of stuff to you. You came to, if you have real faith in Jesus, you came to faith in Jesus, Jesus. You've entrusted your life to him because you've had an experience of his power and his love and his presence in your life. That's why. Otherwise, it's not going to make sense. Because we can talk and talk and talk and talk about stuff that happened 2,000 years ago. But what we need is an authentic experience with the Holy Spirit of God for every person. That's how the church in Antioch was doing evangelism. That's how Jesus tells us to do evangelism. That's how we want to do evangelism. We need the power of God working through us, working around us. Let me, t- let me give, you, give you an example of something that happened here. There was a guy named Amin who came here 
two years ago. He stood right here, and he said, I love this. He came here by accident. So I was teaching the Word. He's like, I love this. He decided to surrender his life to Jesus. He invited a friend of his, whose name I won't mention. That guy came, and he came to our Friday burgers. By the way, we got, Friday, we got burgers tomorrow. If, you, if you're hungry tomorrow at noon, come for burgers. He came for Friday burgers, and he said, I got some questions. I said, ask your questions. But here, let me just ask you. Are you asking those questions because you want to know the truth, or do you just want to argue? He said, I just want to know what you think. I said, I'll answer your questions. So he didn't want to know the answer to the questions. He wanted to argue. Stood there on the porch, argue, argue, argue. Finally went up to my office, argue, argue, argue. I missed prayer. And then we did this every Friday. Every Friday he'd come like, so I got another question. Like, okay, man, if you really want to know, I'll answer the question. Finally, I was like, brother, we're not arguing anymore. I'm not interested. You're not interested in the truth. And so why, why are we, let's be friends. Let's be friends, okay? And this went on for a long time. Argue, argue, argue. I'd like, buddy, we're going to be friends. That's all. When I don't, I, you don't have to convince me. I don't have to convince you. And let's have coffee. So one Friday lunch, this was like every Friday for how many months? One Friday lunch, I told him, no more arguing. He came back the next week and said, I made up my mind. I'm not arguing. So you guys know we do lunch, and we come in here, and we spend time worshiping. And I look out on the porch, and he's sitting there on the swing with Will Preby, and he's just going like this, arguing. And I thought, it was like the, the, the Holy Spirit did in my heart what he did in Paul's heart here. And I went out there, and I said, in the, this is what I said, in the name of Jesus, by the power that was, by the authority that was given on the cross through the shedding of his blood, I declare that you are free from every deception and lie that you've been under. No more, no more tormenting this guy. You are free. And I said his name. And he looked like a kid that had just gotten caught with his hand in the cookie jar. All the arguing that he'd done for months and months just stopped. He never once argued with me again or with anybody else here, I don't think. He asked some questions. And I went away thinking, that was weird. <laughs> I was, well, the deal was I was on my way to a funeral. So I was like, I didn't know what to say after that. I'm like, I got to go to a funeral, but see ya. So I run, I run to the funeral. And he's, he's texting me in the funeral going, he's texting me in the funeral saying, um, I guess I'll never see you again. I'm like, buddy, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. We love you. The next Friday, I came back, and I'm thinking, I wonder if he's coming. So I text him, and I say, you coming? He said, I'll be right there. Aww. He continued to come Friday after Friday after Friday, drinking coffee. I felt like we developed a friendship. But why did I do, I mean, that was eight months into this weekly arguing thing that we did. But what, it taught me something. It taught me, I thought, you know what? We want to be nice. We want to be loving. But there is a time to take authority into the power of Jesus Call the lie for what it is. I mean, the, there's, there's, it's, this is not one argument against another argument. This is about the power of God. Guys, when we're doing evangelism, let's, let's walk in the power of God. And also, what that means is that we don't go and do that to every person over there. What that means is that that, the, that was Holy Spirit-led. 
It was led by the Holy Spirit. And it was like the Holy Spirit showed me there is, there is demonic activity in this guy's life that is keeping him bound. And I spoke freedom over him, and it was broken. Now, he still hasn't come to the Lord, but I think he will. He's gone back to his home country, and he is my friend. I care about him. Guys, let's stand up, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to go out, and we're going to celebrate the people who are being baptized tonight. Lord Jesus, we just want to declare that you are king over every life here. All the things that are going on in our lives, you're in charge. You're sovereign over all that. We give up all the, the concern and the worry and the disappointment with other people and their disappointment with us. All of it, we lay at the cross of Jesus. We surrender to you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing in the lives of the people who are being baptized. And for the people who are here tonight who, who, who don't even know what we're talking about, would you just keep speaking to them? And, and I want to speak to you guys, too. If, if you're here tonight for the first time on understanding what God's saying to you, I want to invite you to let me know. Don't walk away from this. Don't let the scheme of the devil keep you from what God's got planned for you. And so, Lord, would, would tonight be the, the, the night of salvation for people in this room? We want to celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, let's go outside, and we're going to baptize some of our people out there.